Welcome to the Arrest All Mimics podcast with your host Ben Tallon. Hello and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Tallon. I'm your host. This is the original thinking and creative innovation podcast. How's everyone doing? Hope everyone's been creating amazing things. Um, Good numbers on the listens recently. Angus Montgomery went down really well in the last episode, which is no surprise. Uh, a man who's the editor of Design Week and has been for a number of years now. Had a lot of information, a lot of interesting stuff to pass on, um, detailing the importance of storytelling, uh, what makes for an interesting creative news story, and how you can get your work into the creative press, and many other things, including the amazing Design Week archive. Uh, 25 years of print publication with some of the best covers, features, images, articles going on in Design Press. Really cool stuff. So thanks to Angus for that, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Today's guest uh, is really, really fascinating to me. Um, I've been in London just over a year now, and I moved into Second Floor Studios and Arts, which is between Woolwich and Greenwich, and it's an amazing facility of over 450 creative people, studios going on. Uh, and I believe it's the biggest studio facility in the country, like affordable art space. And I absolutely love it there. I've got a decent studio size going on. Uh, and you just meet all these amazing people buzzing around the place. There's a gallery on site, a cafe on site. And quite quickly into my tenure there, I met Eden Orfanos, who is a lady originally from Texas and has, by her own admission, not really sort of settled in one place a great deal since she left there. But she's had this incredible career with amazing shifts from one discipline to another, including uh, so, I mean, so many things. She's worked as a humanitarian. She worked in Hollywood as a makeup artist. She paints. She did, does photography. Um, she's involved in so many different areas in art therapy. Um, she's currently studying a degree uh, in London uh, in art therapy. Some really fascinating stuff. Primarily, I wanted to talk to Eden after we got talking about her work in Hollywood as a makeup artist and the U-turn that she made after becoming slightly disillusioned with that way of life, which then saw her move to Africa and work in some amazing, amazing ways with art therapy and with young people and people of all ages. And some of the stories that we're going to bring to you today on this episode are mind-blowing and it's hard to imagine how someone of Eden's age, which I actually don't know what her age is, but she's quite young, and to have jammed all that experience into such a short amount of time is kind of it kind of frazzles my brain, and it's really uh, really interesting stuff. So I hope you guys will, you guys will find it the same. So I'm going to be bringing you that. Um, just a little mention that I wanted to put in. Any long-term listeners of the show will remember uh, a few episodes ago we we were lucky enough to have John Newbegin, uh, the chair of Creative England on the show, talking about the the need for creativity to be at the heart of our schools and our education system uh, in the face of the proposed removal of expressive arts from the the EBAC, which is the English, let me try and pronounce this, Baccalaureate. Baccalaureate? Baccalaureate? Fucking hell. I'm not too sure, but... Long story short, Nicky Morgan, the Education Secretary, came out not too long back and infuriated many people by proposing that we remove arts from what is defined as being a uh, a good education, which under these proposals would be English, maths, science, a language and a humanity. 
to remove art from that is preposterous to me. Um, I, I we we talked at length in the episode with John Newbegin, which you really should check out if you care about the arts anywhere near as much as I do. Um, to to propose that though they're removed is is crazy. I mean, this is not about you know art people doing art and becoming artists. This is a bigger picture. This is about independent thinking, creative thinking, the ability to solve problems, and the ability to move on one's feet. Think on one's feet. Sorry, and. Um, you know, these are skills which are pure gold in today's business world and in the employment world. They speak for themselves. We're in a digital revolution. You know, there's this current um, amorphous thing happening where all these disciplines are crossing over with one another. Tech is, you know, involved with art. Art is involved with science. There's so, it, it's preposterous to think that we're still running an education system of checking boxes and making kids miserable by putting them through these boring sort of syllabus systems um go back and listen to that episode I, I talk about that at greater length and i'm a lot angrier at that point and don't get me wrong i'm still angry but i've kind of calmed down to think about how i can best address this but the reason i brought this up today is as a petition doing the rounds to to fight that and to, and to make a case for you know retaining expressive arts in the eback so check out the show notes uh, in the description part of this show on soundcloud and you'll find the link to the petition do me a massive favor please go and sign that petition. It's so important for anyone who's ever been given the freedom to do something creative and enjoy their learning and and realise how good that makes you feel as a human being. And also the way that changes the way you think and enables you to go and find what subject, what career you actually want to do uh, and pursue it with a degree of individuality and not become this, you know, this monotone robot that comes out of a degree from uh, based on textbooks and papers only to find that actually you need to be able to think for yourself and do something with that and apply it to the real world and this you know as john newbegin highlights there's a void between the two the education system and the real world so please do me a favor go and sign that petition um, get in touch about the show as ever at Arrest All Mimics on Twitter. We're now on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Arrest All Mimics. Um, hit me up on Instagram, Ben Talon, at Ben underscore Talon. You know, if you want to get in touch, drop us. I'm, I'm all over social media, so find me on there. Find the Arrest All Mimics, support the show, throw any ideas at me as ever. I'm always open to suggestion, although actually I get very little uh, in the way of suggestions. It seems to be the same for you people who. who pitch ideas at me but there you go Uh, i thought i might get more people throwing their work at me and saying look feature this but anyway there you go get in touch do it Uh, if you want to hit us up on the email more privately arrest or mimics at gmail.com and let's get into the chat with eden orfanos today um again in the show notes there'll be links to eden's work so you can check it out more uh, but get ready for an amazing conversation. I got to this place of, you know, the art therapy. Um, I was doing charity work, you know, with the, the deaf-mute children in Africa and yeah. all this. And since I've been here, I've been working with kind of two specialist groups. Um, women suffering with cancer. Hmm. Um, mainly, the and how I've been working with them is the physical effects of cancer. Being a makeup artist, then I've worked with this really great organization called Look Good, Feel Better that helps women deal with the physical aspects of cancer. So when you're going through radiation, you know, you're you're losing your eyebrows, you know, your fingernails turn black, they fall off, you know, you lose your hair, your skin gets really like tissue paper looking. It really affects you physically. Mm. And I think it has more effect on women than men because they identify more with 
yeah, of course. Their beauty and their hair. Yeah, it's it's cool it. to see a guy bald. It's like, yeah, Bruce Willis. At least you can own it as a guy. And yeah. I mean, and I mean, there are rare examples where a girl can own a skinhead, you know, but, but it's very rare. Yeah. I think, yeah. you know, it's nine times out of ten, that's not a good thing. You know? Right, right. So these women kind of feel victim to the physical effects of the cancer. Um, so I thought, oh, right, since I'm kind of, I was doing makeup, um, the Look Good Feel Better organization worked through Macmillan, and we kind of help women learn, you know, teach them how to draw on their yeah. eyebrows, you know, fake really eyelashes, cool. yeah. just kind of, it's, it's like art therapy for your face, really. It's yeah. just like art therapy, because you're actually like looking in the mirror at yourself and, and, and combating the cancer, not being a victim yeah. to it, but actually going, right. This is what I've got right now. This is what I'm dealing with. And they also, and it's a great support group as well because they're with other women yeah. that are suffering as well. The cancer, because yeah. it's a group scenario usually about maybe eight to 12 women. Mm. And they all sit around and we kind of discuss, you know, how to pick a wig or how to tie a wrap yeah. on your head, how to draw eyebrows on because you don't think about it. But of course you don't know. It's Why like, you? you know, uh, women won't leave the house sometimes because they just look like cancer, you know? Yeah. So we kind of teach them that. So. In a way, that was art therapy. So that was one section, um, kind of um, specialist genre group I was working with. And then I was working with um, children that were sex trafficked. Well, I say children loosely. Um, children to women, but oftentimes, sadly, it is 12, 14, on to, you know, 20. Mm. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to try to specialize into that whilst I'm doing all this study. Because it sounds kind of sad, but it's places that I'm comfortable with, you know. Yeah. Um, working in these two genres. But the the university really wanted us to work with the school system in mm. Britain, kind of, I suppose, as a building block to other things. Okay. And so I've ended up at uh, a nice uh, primary school with uh, kids with, with just slightly special needs and yeah. social uh, disabilities, but nothing major. Yeah. So I've ended up there, but I'm there every um, every Wednesday and Thursday doing art therapy. Mm. So it's a way for for kids to express themselves and okay. Um, yeah, the backgrounds of these children are quite interesting. I was gonna say, how do you deal with that so, sort of mentality that you know in a school? I mean, how do, how do just you know how do they find that? How do they how do they respond when you sort of say right art therapy? I, I imagine kids might have a tendency to sort of be like, oh, what's that? Exactly. That's why we don't call it art therapy. We just say um, supporting sessions or we say, you know, we offer support and, yeah. you know, we'd like to, you know, suggest or allow you to show um, show us creatively, mm. you know, anything you'd like to express, you know. Um, okay. So it's not as rigid as throwing out art therapy because people are like, well, yeah. what is that? Even people, my, my, you know, colleagues from past lives are like, oh, so is it therapy for crazy artists or is it, is it helping an artist get through a, like a, a, a block or, mm. you know, and you know, it's just, it's another language for being able to communicate, you know, subconscious. It's, as a term, as a sort of a field of study, I imagine it's quite a modern thing, art therapy. I mean, mm. I've, only, I've only become aware of it in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. But then I guess I wouldn't have, even if it was there. But um, it's, I think it's fantastic. I think it's such a, such an important channel. Mm. No matter what problem, what walk of life, I think there's something to be said about creativity. Mm. Offering yeah. at least an outlet, if not something more powerful than that. That's right. Well, you know, and, and I myself have witnessed how powerful it can be just in, in what they call spontaneous creating. Mm. where I've actually myself had a bit of artist block. I haven't really um, 
been able to express what I want to, at least in, in a way that I used to, which was usually canvas was my kind of go-to thing, yeah. big format canvas with surrealist images. And I've kind of been blocked in that. So whilst on this course, this art th therapy course, they, you know, you have to also yourself participate in art therapy. You yeah. know? So they have workshops where you spontaneously create and you're like, right, so about your mother or oh, wow. how would you, you know, and then you're just what? <laughs> and you know, most times I'll go and I'll just be really frustrated. I'm like, okay, this is horrible. How on earth could I possibly create anything aesthetically pleasing to myself in 30 minutes? You mm. know, being an artist. Yeah. I think it's actually harder for artists to be art therapists because you have this aesthetic thing attached to the outcome of yes. the image. So I'm going along and I'm creating and I'm doing this, that, the other thing. And I look at it after I'm finished and I'm like, oh, this is so wretched. I just want to rip it up and throw it in the rubbish. But <laughs> two days later, I go back and look at it and I'm like, oh, holy shit. What's coming out of that is insane. Mm. Things that are completely subconscious mm -hmm. that I really didn't have any control over or thought as I was creating it. But that emerged just through spontaneous creating, just through the subconscious. Yeah. So it's really amazing. I'm like, oh shit, this really wow. does work. <laughs> so you're really starting to wow. see, yeah. see some benefit from that now. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's interesting, you know. Um, so it, it's just a form of, of communication. And what's interesting, as we are having dialogue right now, I was reading, I think it was Stern, David Stern, or is it Segway? Get them confused. I'm not very, you know, I'm not like you know very good with my theory yet it's all kind of mushed always around been, always been weak in that area <laughs> it's yeah. always been mushed around i'm sure <laughs> at the end of my course knock on wood you know <laughs> don't let rohampton know this but um that um i'll know my theory straight up but anyway someone um either stern maybe i think it was stern said that language is already a different thought process than art creating you don't have to it's visual so you see something and then you can kind of project it back mm. right it doesn't have to go through as much mental process as verbal language because then you say something to me I have to hear it and recognize it and understand it that the language I understand and then understand that I know what you're trying to tell me mm. and the way you're telling me as well yeah so it goes through so many processes by the way by the time it comes out it's already had like four different kind of um processes of of, of articulation thinking um where art is just a bit more primitive mm. well you well, see yeah. something and then it just comes out right it just it doesn't it, it doesn't have the same kind of mental um capacity that 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 language does yes so and, and that's what i love about how people when they when they connect truly connect with their natural way of working whether it be mm. map making or whatever it is they're working on that i love it when it embodies a person's just the person and their mm -hmm. experiences and their thoughts and everything else mm. you know that, that that forms a character um and i love that that can, can be so simplistic sometimes the way that, that emerges as a piece of art mm -hmm. and i think yeah, so i'm right on board with that i think mm. and especially as someone who started to write recently and to do broadcasting and things like this i i yeah like i would totally agree with that yeah mm. that it's harder to articulate often in words or written word it does mm. take me longer and more planning and more breaking down of what i've seen and thought mm -hmm. smelled you know it's yeah i think for artists it does but people you know most people um it's sad, most people, I mean, we're very lucky we live in a place like London that, you know, the arts are very, you know, it's, we're exposed to it, you know, whether mm. it be theatre or, you know, 
gallery shows or you know buskers on the street you know we're very lucky that we do have glimpses of art but there's so many people I mean maybe not our direct peers but that have never that haven't since they were five picked up a pen or a crayon or a paintbrush or anything yeah. they're so dislodged from that kind of part of themselves you know so it's, it's really interesting when you yeah. do reintroduce art to someone that's so separate from it it really taps into something really primitive and childlike mm. which you get a lot of honesty in that and that's yeah. why it works in therapy because through that you get a lot of honesty and then it just kind of like yeah kind of comes out so it's so fascinating yeah it's, what drew you to uh, what what so what what were your inspirations in actually wanting to study art therapy um, well um you know i've been an artist all my life and i didn't um I didn't have a really much of an academic <laughs> um, upbringing. Uh, I didn't finish school, and uh, so I didn't really have a, a typical um, scholastic life when I was a kid. I hmm. I got kicked out of school when I was fifteen, and yeah. I was like, "Okay, bugger it! I'm just gonna go off and do my thing." And my aunt is an artist, and um, and I've always been. Um, making something, mm. doing something with my hands, whether it was drawing um, or painting or or creating like little sculptures or things like that. And even from a young age, I was making money on it. I, I lived in Texas and I used to go to the rodeos and I would sketch horse, I, was, I would sketch portraits of the horses. Oh wow. And I would sell them. Yeah. And then I got commissioned um, from my school. It was kind of an honor thing. It wasn't like any way, you know, financially. Um, Stable, but I got commissioned to, to do a mural in the school, me and three other kids. Oh, and so at yeah. 12, I was painting a mural in my middle school. Mm. And so art was always just, um, it, it, it wasn't a choice. It just something I had to do. And um, I, I also modeled a little bit when I was younger, but that was kind of just a, a way to get out. Yeah. And then from that, since I was a painter, I started to do makeup. And I started to do fashion and makeup, and then I was in Paris, and I mm. would study under all these amazing people, and I was doing amazing fashion and makeup on runway shows, which was very, I mean, you've probably seen some, uh, you know, yeah. makeup on runway. It's not really makeup, like street makeup. It's mm. pretty fantastic. Oh, yeah. And amazing. And so that was kind of my painting, you know, my painting on a 3D canvas. And I thought, well, hell, if I can paint a 3D image on a flat surface what can't I do to a 3D a yeah. person, you know, a 3D canvas. Wow. So I kind of got really involved in that, and I worked in movies, and I worked in theater, I did special effects, I got mm. to make blood and cadavers, and, you know, so it was really fun. So I used that to catapult myself into other aspects of media um, and the entertainment industry. So I did some art direction, um, got into styling, um, wig making, and, and these kind of things. Yeah. And so yeah, so I was in the Hollywood scene for a while. And um, though I was, I was, I had a really great career. I loved it. I mean, I said had. It's not. I suppose I could go back if I if I really wanted to. It would take some effort to get back on the, the Hollywood train, but sometimes <laughs> it moves pretty quick. But um, having always been an artist, I felt like even though I was doing things, you know, kind of my craft, you know, mm. through the makeup and um, art direction and and all this kind of stuff, set design, I missed just creating with a paintbrush you know yeah. on a wall or on a canvas so I would always kind of go back to that and use that myself as therapy honestly it's like I just realized that that was kind of a therapy for me mm. and um, identified it as such I didn't name it art therapy but I knew that that would help me be more sane if I actually went up to yeah. the canvas and just bleh, you know regurgitated on the canvas yeah so um 
and then you know working in Hollywood, the disillusion of Hollywood, uh, I kind of got just disillusioned. You know, just a mm. bit, just a bit too much excess, All just the a bit too of um, false behavior. Um, people with so much pretense, and and um, and also um, the disparity of the. Um, The polar opposite of kind of acting and, and, and expressing yourself to just people doing it for money mm. and just being so wealthy and, and kind of hoarding their wealth and having this false image of themselves. I don't know, dealing with people like that all the time. Did, did you find that image got in the way of sort of raw creativity? I did, yeah. because at that stage they were kind of just puppets. Mm. But they had created their own puppets, but then again, they had to be the puppets because it wouldn't work if it wasn't their puppet character. So I felt like yeah. they were super lost in that, even though they'd gotten there because it was a creative force, maybe, mm. but it just didn't exist anymore. I think that's true of a lot of art, whether it's graphic. It's... I know a lot of graphic designers who, who are fed up and you, know, they, and you ask them why they started out doing this. Mm. And like you and I, they started by drawing on paper, painting on canvas, doing it in the family home for pleasure. Followed it academically, still, I guess, enjoying it at that point. But then often, the, you know, a lot of the, it's very easy to take on the jobs that pay well and come regularly. Mm. But it's it takes more balls, I suppose, could be said. Maybe it takes more balls. Resolve and certainly self-belief and determination to, mm. to, to actually start to try and understand your you know why you do this and what and, and and it's harder to find those commissions but worth clinging on for i think mm. i certainly found that i've always been very protective of of you know i have to enjoy, at least enjoy or tolerate what i'm doing mm -hmm. nine times out of ten i enjoy it i've, I've built you know a brand where mm -hmm. I, I love what i'm doing now but i think it could be said of all walks of art you know mm. i think it's very easy to um to be recognized for something and and push that so much that that's all you're known for and then yes. you can't get out it's very yes. you see it with so many uh, people yes it's very difficult yeah. so i guess yeah i mean i have I, I have always imagined that a lot of hollywood would be like that but i mean i've been nowhere, nowhere near it so how could mm. i know you know mm. but you do see a lot of you know sort of mechanical films with people who you think you were doing really cool stuff 10 films ago mm. what happened there but mm. i guess it's very easily done mm. yeah so in that I guess I was seeking something else, and when I was really small, even though I was I was always doing art stuff, I always had this kind of compassion, and I wanted to fix things. I don't know. Um, I wanted to be a surgeon actually when I was like really little. <laughs> don't ask why. I actually wanted to like imagine cutting things open and fixing them, like oh, a yeah? surgeon. Yeah, not a ballerina, <laughs> not a mommy, but a surgeon. I want to be a surgeon. Or Jacques Cousteau or Jane Goodall, one of those. <laughs> so at 28, 30, you know, when I kind of, you know, was taking a back seat to the, to the Hollywood thing, because I, I had got caught up in it, and I had totally got caught up in the, the machine. Mm. And I'm like, right, okay, I, I need to stop, because I'm going to be like these people that I'm um, not fond of. So, uh, yeah, I just started researching a bunch of different organizations, and... Um, thought, right, what can you do with the skills you have, you know, to do something more humanitarian? Mm. And ended up in Africa helping to build onto an AIDS hospital 
that happened wow. to have a lot of children and off I went just kind of like that everybody yeah. thought I lost my mind they're like what are you doing where are you going this is crazy you know <laughs> Idi Amin's gonna get you you know <laughs> no but um so yeah I just ended up there and it was like so eye-opening and you know you know that these things exist this kind of extreme poverty and mm. you know crisis of war and, and, and disease and um, you know these things exist but until you actually put your foot in it unless you know until you're standing on the ground with someone that's dealing with it you know you don't really have capacity for it and and I was there and it was really life-changing and I know that sounds but mm. there's truth and cliche. Of course there is, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it changed my life. So I thought, right, I need to get back to doing something like this. Yeah. Um, but then again, I was living with no electricity, no rainwater, in the dirt, you know, getting malaria. Yeah. Um, and, and, and even though it was really feeding my soul, you know, it was very challenging because I had so much guilt around also. Like my... I say wealth loosely. I meant just the way I had lived before and then seeing the, the people that are in such extreme poverty with so little. I felt there was a lot of guilt around that. And I thought, how am I going to be in the middle? Where mm. am I going to be in the middle? Because I was still had my house in L.A. and my flat in South Beach um, or in New York. And then there I was like living, you know, with in the dirt with these these kids and these people. And so for 10 years, I, I kind of educated myself on the humanitarian industry and or the NGO world and just tried to do whatever I could. I opened up a very small sign language school for deaf mute kids. And this took, it was a lot, it was a lot of work and a lot of time. And um, I felt very enriched by it, but it was completely draining. And, mm. and I didn't have a background in any of that. So I was just going with my heart and it was in hindsight, I would have done it completely different, but I just saw a need, and I just wanted yeah, to, what to help this commendable need. thing. But um, so, coming back to that, you know, the only way to communicate with these kids because a I didn't speak their dialect of Lugandan, and my Swahili I know twenty words of, so that wasn't going. <laughs> but they're deaf, mute, and so I couldn't yeah. communicate with them, you know, yeah. in a verbal way. So how was I going to communicate with them? through play therapy, through art, through drawing, yeah. which was quite comfortable with me. I didn't actually realize I was doing art therapy until three years ago yeah. with these kids. But there was, yeah. there was no other way to communicate. Yeah. So it just be, it was innately wow. um, inherent that I would, of yeah. course, express myself through creativity with these kids. And it kind of started that way. But it literally, Ben, took me years later to recognize, wait... Actually, I was doing art therapy yeah. back then. So what but, tools would you use and what would you do with the um, kids? We would, we would do drawing and, you know, at first we didn't even have paper or pencils or anything like that. So we would literally, um, like, just draw in the dirt with yeah. sticks, you know, draw a giraffe or a wow. bird or yeah. a smiley face or just get them to look in the mirror and to make faces at themselves and get them to, like, look at each other and then smile yeah. And, and do these kind of creative expression things. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting. But it was just the only way I could communicate. I didn't have any thought of, oh, this is art therapy. Mm. Um, I'd been aware of art therapy, but I just, never, I just never gave it any thought. I don't know why. Kind of obvious, but meh. 
Yeah. <laughs> it didn't strike me until several years ago. It's and almost then, like yeah. someone's bottles, what we've always done, really, or people, some people have always done in terms of an outlet, you know, mm. and, and art as expression and creativity as, as fun, but also a very a very essential thing for people who've, who've got to get things off, off their back. But mm. they've been, you know, it's almost like someone's bottled it and called it art therapy, but it's, uh, I think it's fantastic. I think mm. it's great, yeah. Mm. And uh, what a contrast, though, to come from that world of Hollywood to that. You know, that's, that's extremes. It was extreme, and I really struggled. Um, to be honest, I'm really, really, I struggled for two or three years because I'm like, how am I going to live in that world and feel comfortable in that world, which I actually did feel really comfortable, you know, in that, in the world, uh, you know, developing countries, and I was completely fearless, like, yeah. I went to Congo, um, I snuck into Congo, and, and this was so exciting, and it was, it was just really yeah. real, yeah. you know, it was very real, and I, I really like that, because working in Hollywood, it's you're not gonna, real at gonna, all. You're going to do it for real. There was no, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> real life or death real. stuff, yeah. But uh, I think I'd gotten so, you know, discouraged with, you know, yeah, creating reality. Mm. Um, and so this realness was, was like a shot in the arm. It was very yeah. exciting. So I just kind of did that. But it was a struggle because I thought, how am I ever going to merge these two or have these two worlds meet? How on earth am I going to do this? Because... I felt like I had two, you know, feet on two different continents. And, well, I actually did have two feet on two different continents. And I was just, you know, didn't know where to go. And um, so it took a long time to figure it out. And a lot of, like, soul searching and, and yeah. um, um, meditating, if you would, or, or what have you. And then it just dawned on me. It's like, yes, it's called art therapy. Mm. <laughs> so, you know. Um, yeah. And I met um, an amazing woman called Bobby Lloyd. And she's, she really did a lot of dynamic work, even back the Syrian war years ago. Um, she was working with refugee children and having them express themselves through art. And uh, because how do you communicate? I just saw my grandmother get blown up and everything I know is, you know, obliterated. Yeah. How do you express that when you're five? <laughs> You know, I express that when you're 10 even, or 20, 30, 40, you know? Yeah, I don't think you ever can, but especially as a child, hmm. who's not even learnt to, to speak exactly. or get, you know, communicate, asking for a sandwich, let alone right. that, you know? So, I was quite taken by her work and um, and work of others that, um, and even after 9-11, where so many people affected by 9-11, they just had no idea what to do with that information. Thank God I wasn't in New York at the time, but I was that was part of my world and um, just having that information and, and that kind of trauma and what do you do with that mm. and also like I said working with these people in third world countries I worked you know in, in places of natural devastation I worked in Thailand and Pangna after the tsunami and um, it was just often that people couldn't express themselves at all I mean they just didn't have words for it you know because mm. it was something so traumatic that there were no words for it so through the arts, music, drawing, dance, you know, they were able to kind of express themselves and, mm. and you know, make, come to terms with it or make sense of it a bit more. Do you think, half, because it's funny because I only ever really thought about this on a, on, a, on a local level in the sense that if I was going to do art therapy, my biggest challenge would perhaps be to, to have that person open up to me, to mm. warm to me, as you know. Mm -hmm. But then I always envisioned that as being me to another English person speaking person mm -hmm. however now in this situation with 
as we said, on a truly primal level where there is no connection, you know, whether it be a child or be a different language. Um, I suppose um, that's take, stripping it right down to its purest form. So I guess the, the challenge would be just, just to simply get the person doing to, mm. to get that person to start, mm-hmm. whether it is painting, dancing, I don't know. But, but I suppose the crux of that then is to, is to I don't know, is, is to uh, encourage that person to start to feel comfortable in, in actually expressing themselves in whatever art they, they're working with. Mm-hmm. Is that right? You... Yes, um, that's kind of what we've been studying, not to <laughs> bore you to tears, but about just creating a place that's safe for someone to feel like they can explore. Mm. And, and you're just really there as a witness yeah. You know, uh, there are two different thoughts to art psychotherapy and art therapy. One is you, you take it analytic kind of way and you go, oh, Johnny's used red and he's drawn horns on his dad. That means dad is bad and this and that. Mm-hmm. And then there's other, um, there's another school of thought that the actual work of Johnny just doing that work is cathartic within itself and that's yeah. enough mm-hmm. to allow him to express that and you don't need to. Yeah. you know, analyze it or pick it or, you know, kind of um, yeah. derive something from that. But just the art itself is cathartic. Yeah. And so... And the belonging that we talked about, you know, the, um, as you said, about the ladies with cancer. The, mm. the, the coming together and sharing a common thing, be it something as, as horrible as cancer mm-hmm. or just simply a common interest. There's something to be said of equal weight about that process of just coming together and, and bouncing off one another, mm-hmm. you know. It's... Um, mm-hmm. Some of the happiest times of my life have been that, whether it's just having a joke with a with a friend behind closed doors or mm. you know, there's something I don't think I think loneliness is probably one of the most destructive things, mm. you know, when it's not welcomed by a person. I think it's mm. Um, mm, I find it really it's such a fascinating thing, you know. Mm. There must be so much to study within within it. I mean you must, oh, do you find it overwhelming at times? I, I honestly do, Ben. I, I honestly do. I mean the mind alone is just you yeah. know, I mean, we're it's you can't it's endless like you're constantly learning more about the mind yeah constantly learning more about you know the diseases of the mind alzheimer's and you know um, autism and all these things um and then and then art is limitless as well isn't it so there's no you know so it's like all this expanding knowledge all the time (laughs) yeah and i feel and it's like i'm such a truth seeker as well like in studying I've, i've had a really hard time of it to be honest um because I'll, I'll be studying something like, oh, that's fascinating. Who's who's inspired this person? And then I'll go and read about who's inspired that person. Like, ooh, and then that's fascinating. Who's inspired this? Before you know, I'm on freaking Plato. I'm honestly like studying Plato. It's like academic like, YouTube, oh where he's got the links down the side, and it's just a time warp. Yeah. So I get up and I'm like, okay, really, I'm on Plato now. I'm really supposed to be dealing with Balbi's, you know, attachment theory here, and yeah. Louis Ainsworth, and yeah, but. Um, Yes, so, but it is fascinating. It is fascinating. Mm. And um, so I find it, uh, it, it's been really good. And and the good thing is I'm not bored, which I get bored really easy. Yeah. And even though it's overwhelming, at least I'm not bored. I get frustrated sometimes because I feel like, oh my gosh. I think stress is better than apathy. Yeah. You know. I think, well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. I'd rather be excited than bored. I mean, there's nothing worse than being, Yeah. yeah brain dead um but yeah but yeah no it is it is fascinating and um and and there's something really leveling as well if you use art as a medium i mean and you're talking about people for therapy you're not talking about people in dance companies or things like that you give you give adults some crayons and it's 
this it, it just levels the playing field for people you know mm. if you're doing group therapy or something like that yeah and you see them go into this other place which is really wild yeah. that, that through talking therapy you may never be able to get through mm. you know to them in that way but you hand them some crayons yeah and they're you know it goes back to it's that instinctive yeah. primal nature of it yeah, you know so. it's yeah you can sometimes you don't you, you wouldn't mean to you know you would never confess something verbally but you might splurge something out without even meaning to because it's so yeah, subconscious exactly that, and i it's, guess you know that's yeah. kind of nail on the head stuff but it's fascinating it yeah. really is yeah it is <laughs> so what sort of entrance for, for someone who would because i know a lot of people who've very fleetingly thought about art therapy mm. because they're you know they're, they're you know they're people who care about other people and they're mm -hmm. good at art and but then mm. i wouldn't know where to start in terms of an entry point um mm. is it something where you're kind of required to have a creative qualification of an, of, or experience in something else? Or can you? is there a kind of starting point for someone who would just come at this? You can kind of enter in two different directions. You can either come from like an undergraduate degree in psychology or, yeah. or a theory of art yeah. or, um, um, you know, um, art history, something like that, or, you know, an artist degree. Mm. Or you can come in as an artist, um, on that level, who's actually been creative, yeah. you know, been, been supporting themselves creatively for years. Because then you have a different way of thinking, you know, the way that you create essentially is, is um, you know, it's multi-layered whether people, you know, want to acknowledge it or not. It is multi-layered yeah. and it's driven from a place, like you said, a core place or a primitive yeah. place. So there's a different way of thinking, you know, that's not so textbook as other non-artists. But, um, so in those two ways, um, you could get in kind of to the arena. And then I would suggest to do like a small course. A lot of, uh, you know, a couple uh, universities offer like taster courses or foundation yeah. courses. Yeah. And they can see if it resonates with you. And, um, you know, the, the three, um, there are three ways to get in here. The BAAT, which is the British Association of Art Therapists offer a foundation course and um, and then the two mm. universities um, Goldsmiths and Roehampton and Hertfordshire as well order um, have like foundation courses like yeah. short courses that you can take to see if mm. you're into it um, if you come in on an artist as an artist you have to um, I'm not certain um, in that way but I think you have to have something like um, oh my gosh this is so bad because on my resume, I had to write this down. Um, I think it's a thousand hours of community service or oh, wow. of, of working in the like of kind of charitable work or humanitarian work, whether it's, you know, you're working in, a, um, you know, um, what do they call them here? We call them hospices mm -hmm. or working in childcare yeah. or a nurse or something like that. So you okay. have to have experience working kind of one-to-one -one or face-to-face -face with clients in yeah. that way. Um, just, just being in, in that realm not obviously being a therapist or yeah. or, or a clinician or nurse or anything mm. but just being in that and then what well, the same goes also if you have undergraduate degree you still have to have face time one-to-one -one time kind of dealing with yeah potential clients patients of course like yeah so yeah. you do volunteering for a year or so yeah and then kind of come I think into that's it that good yeah yeah you know it kind of yeah. lets you know what you're in for because mm. it's, it's any teaching is draining but actually dealing with people who've suffered trauma or or you know, it's wild. You know, mm -hmm. it takes real, it takes real commitment and mm. love. I think mm -hmm. of, of that process. Mm -hmm. But also, things come up for yourself as well. Like I've been, I haven't been shocked, um, but it has been challenging. Things that have come up for myself, even even reading theory, but also dealing with 
with clients, um, you know, little girl that was abused yeah. by her father or something. You're like, oh my gosh, how could that be? I could, that could be my cousin or that could mm. be my sister or, you know, so it really hits home sometimes, yeah. you know, a woman with cancer. My mother had cancer, yeah. you know, so when I'm in the room with these ladies and I see them having, they just had a mastectomy and they have no eyebrows and their fingernails are falling off and yeah. it's like I see my mother. Yeah. So how do I not go there with them and how yeah. can I contain a boundary to where they can feel mm. like they can express themselves and be open with me, but then I have to contain myself so I don't create anxiety for them or myself. Yeah. So it's just really... Such a multi-layered thing. It's really challenging. Yeah. yeah. And, wow. And, um, and even as simple as, you know, I, I, I started this placement with a, with a school and, um, you know, I had, I would, I, I would not say trauma, but I had some challenges in school. Mm. Uh, because I'm dyslexic and I think that kind of led me to my artist life as well because I just didn't have the capacity to, to be um, you know in a normal academic setting and, and, and function and, and do well there so being even in school was like kind of like oh god here I'm in school again <laughs> oh god yeah. am I going to fail my test <laughs> am I going to be sent in the corner we knew you'd be back yeah. you know what I mean so there was a little bit of kind of like oh yeah completely yeah so yeah. Uh, so it's um it's really it's been it's been amazing um it's really amazing though yeah some days i'm like oh what the hell am i doing i'd rather be on a fucking music video painting mm. up ozzy osbourne and shit and you know what i mean <laughs> dealing with like you know obnoxious actors yeah and, you know so what just just to go back to what, what did you work on in in hollywood i mean, i think when we talked the first time you went did you do dexter uh, I worked on Dexter once, but I worked on um, CSI, yeah. which was really fun. You, you, yeah. you know what CSI is. I know CSI, yeah. yeah. I worked on CSI. No, I wanted to. I was dying to work with Dexter because I thought it was so fabulous. Because I like the storyline as well. It kind mm, of it's like, cool. Yeah. It's very different. The Robin Hood kind of serial killer thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's me. But, uh, but it was a form of painting and I really enjoyed mm. it. I mean, I was really privileged and though I worked my ass off, I really did. I, I busted my ass and was always climbing the ladder and onto the next thing and yeah. would take um, work and, and contacts over anything, which is, yeah. I had no relationships. Yeah. I really suffered relationships, you know, or the, I don't even know if you could call them relationships. I mean, even my cat broke up with me, you know. But <laughs> 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 Bitch, you're not here enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, and, and did you did you say you created cadavers on the? Uh, yeah, on CSI? it was really fun. So you get so to cool. paint on like dead people and make wow. it look real, and then it was fun to do research and mm. you know study like diseases, skin diseases and things. And oh, what does it look like when you get really burnt, or what wow. happens if it's an acid burn? Or so how would that work? Would you get a script and you'd be given? Yeah. You'd be and told. Then you had to break down the script. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting for movies too because you know they don't shoot in sequence. You have to. Of you course. shoot one scene and yeah. you shoot scene like. I learned the hard two way on away. an independent film, and I turned up as art director on. Trust alone from a friend uh, who had a little budget, but he knew uh -huh. I had a good eye for, for you know, uh, what looked good compositionally. So he, he gave me the role to have little other options. In the end, it turned out fine. But on day one, I was asked, where are the reference shots for continuity? Oh, yeah. I was like, what? And then mm -hmm. the director put his head in his hands and went, I, I forgot it was his first time. I'll take the hit on this one. I should have told him about this. So I had no idea. So, you know, we were like, oh, shit, if the flower pot's going to be on the next shelf down in a scene that's already passed, we're going to look really shit. But, yeah. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, and I, I was, you know, that's why I ask because I've worked, I've, I really loved the teamwork of working on independent film. So I'm quite just quite curious as to how that operates on a bigger level. You know, it's yeah. just uh, more stringent, mm. more documentation. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I was really, and being an artist, I was really shit at it. And actually, like, I really upset one of the. Um, the, the head of the department once because I was kind of lax in it, you know, mm. and it is super every single scene. If, if you know, I mean, I wasn't in the hair department, but if her hair is like this and they cut to another scene, they shoot that scene over again. If her hair is like this, yeah, it's going to look like shit. Of course, you yeah. Know? yeah. And, you know, the shade of lipstick you have on mm. and the way the eyebrows are brushed or the kind of facial hair, you know. Yeah. If he has, you know, three days of growth, on that same shoot, you better make sure you can mimic that three days of growth because if you go edit it and it's been two days, you're going to be like, shit, yeah. I mean, I noticed that stuff like, mm. my friends really don't like going to movies with me. I'm like, oh my God, look at that. That scene, his nose wasn't that bloody. And it, this <laughs> one's before that one and this, no, the blood is, no. Yeah, you know, it's and very the bruise, tough. And I'm like, that's not a four day old bruise. That's shit. That's yeah. like, you know, and the gash on his head doesn't match the gash yeah. on his head to a day ago. And, and I guess you would have had to learn this stuff too. So, you know, I mean, yeah. we had to learn to try and make semi-convincing blood yeah. on, when I was working on a, on a production and yeah. someone's going, use coffee, use granulated coffee. That works pretty well. And, you know, we're just, we're panicking, you know, for 10 minutes to shoot. I mean, yeah. I mean, we could get away with it at that level, yeah. but you, there's no room for margin for error, I suppose. Yeah, but imagine if you're on set somewhere and you're not around anything like you know you're not in london where you can go to That's foxes and get yourself some blood or some dirt or some mm. you know t tooth black or what have Shit, you it's all preparation and you're all out there you know in the middle of you know the country somewhere and it's like and you didn't read the script properly you're like oh he's supposed to have you know a blacked out tooth here or he's supposed to have yeah. a black eye here and you don't have your special yeah. effects kit so it takes a lot of preparation yeah and an organization so you've got to be absolutely ready with all the right yeah, tools at the right absolutely. time and then on to the next thing and it's like so would you work everyone that I've spoke to says you know talking at least a minimum of 18 hour days you know like crazy long days around the clock for yeah. weeks at a time I imagine yeah yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I guess that wears you down over time. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's tiring, but I don't know. I guess I, I just done it for such a long time that I was kind of conditioned to it. Yeah. And it wasn't anything like working, you know, 18 hours a day. I was tired, but with the exception of people being shitty, there was nothing new that was going to happen. Yeah. You know, if, if I had prepared myself, the thing is prepare to be prepared because you don't get a second chance yeah. or you're going to lose budget and then you'll never be hired again if you yeah. create a, some kind of problem with a budget like you can't yeah. shoot a scene because you don't have the tattoo mm. that you're supposed to have because yeah. they're supposed to have a tattoo on their neck and they had it two scenes ago and you don't have the tattoo to put on her neck today and this is the day after the scene you shot two weeks ago yeah. then you're fucked yeah <laughs> you know yeah. because you're going to be like oh wardrobe department can this gangster wear a turtleneck now yeah Oh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and it, it's to... just a chain reaction too, then, because I guess everyone gets changes when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Did you? So did you get a lot of like shitty directors? Did you? No, I actually had. Um, no, I had some good times. I mean, sometimes the people that act. Yeah, it just depends. I mean, it's like yeah, anything else. Cops. You work in a bank, and there's gonna be one cops, jerk yeah. hole that's like, whatever, being mm. obnoxious, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a different scene, you know, it's a different yeah. realm and, and these people, celebrities, you know, they, they have a different life and we've created that as well because, you know, you know, Jude Law can't go walking down the street in any old place before people go, oh my God, 
fun, you know, selfie, yeah. you know, and, and so you, you're like, okay, right, I don't want to go to the market today, so mm. my assistant's going to go. I don't want to go to the yeah. green grocers today, so my assistant's going to go. And then you just kind of become this person that is used to people doing everything gotcha. for you. And then you also become this person that, like, why do you want to be my friend? Do you want to be my friend because... Of course, how could you not I think like that when you late reach a certain Celebrity level? status, I have money because yeah. I can get you places. So I understand how it becomes like this other world, yeah. this other reality. So um, yeah, it's interesting to deal with. And, and also I felt like bloody hell. Let me tell you, my when I was a makeup artist, my makeup career I would say was 40% makeup artistry and at least another 40% therapist mm. you know because you come in someone comes into your trailer and it's five in the morning and maybe they went out and got on the piss or maybe they didn't they don't know their lines for yeah. that day and they're sitting there you know and it's five in the morning and you're having to poke and prod them put special effects makeup on them you know what i mean and yeah. you really have to create a really good environment for this person because there's a lot expected of them, you know, mm. and you're the first person they see except for the coffee truck, you know, maybe yeah. if they've stopped by the coffee truck, but usually they'll have a PA come and bring them their coffee into the trailer. But you're the first person as dealing with an actor who the whole budget is kind of, not the whole budget, but quite a bit of the budget is riding on this character because people are going to pay to see mm. Julia Roberts or, you know, Johnny Depp or whoever yeah. on screen. So you have to make sure that that person's happy in your chair. Yeah. So you have to do a lot of psychoanalytic work <laughs> just before the eyeliner goes on. You know what I mean? Before the powder yeah. puff comes out, yeah. anti-shine. You have to like yeah. get yourself in a place and, and allow them to feel comfortable. So I think that was so much training for what I'm doing here, yeah. which is dealing with trauma patients and yeah. children with Asperger's. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's interesting yeah. how that translates. And I guess that only sort of clicks with hindsight too. You know, I, I doubt at the time you were thinking that you were doing oh, it, yeah. no doubt. But no. I, I doubt you were consciously thinking no. this is, you know, this is. What you, you, I'm just, doing. you know, you want to work, you want to, you want to eat, you want to make good money, you want to be on to the mm. next better production. Yeah. So you best make this experience the best experience you yeah. can, with everybody else in the trailer, with your actor, mm -hmm. making, you know, making the director happy. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of psychological. Yeah. Did you say you did set design as well? What's that? Did you say you worked on set design? Yeah, too? very minimally on photo shoots and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And, and um, I got to do some fun stuff on theater too, paint some backdrops. And cool. back in the day when that was, well, I, I suppose it still does. But yeah, so yeah. just kind of wore really a lot of cool. different hats, you know, and, yeah, and doing brilliant. creative work. And I had, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, it's a fascinating, really it's a fascinating uh, path. Uh, yeah, for uh, sure. <laughs> so, but but I realized that the art therapy kind of brings together the two worlds. It brings together a lot of the different mm. worlds that I've been like functioning in. Yeah, it seems like a nice middle ground. Mm, it is, and I'm excited to see where it goes because you know I had this other idea of what I would do with it, and I'm just really kind of open to see where where it goes. Yeah. So brilliant! I think you've got mm. to be with something like that. Oh. That's really cool. <laughs> So. so the last bit I always ask on the show is um, it's called Shark in the Tank and I, I name it after Damien Hurst's piece because it's my favourite uh -huh. work of art and, um, and it's always loved or loathed so I always uh, so I ask someone to name something it could be a present thing right now or an all time thing but I ask them to name like a love and a hate mm -hmm. basically so it can be something silly something fun but anything at all a theme whatever absolutely anything it's just a, a real you know something that pisses you off and something that really gets you going in a good way 
Shark in a tank, huh? <laughs> um, I have swum with sharks, actually. Which yeah? Which is exciting. Yes. <laughs> Not in a tank, though. Not in a cage. <laughs> no, I did, actually, yeah. I got to dive with sharks in South Africa, in the Blue Brilliant. Hole, in Belize. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was interesting, though, but this and maybe this ties into what I'm going to tell you as well. What I was afraid of, and I thought, right, okay, the shark can eat me, right? If I encounter a shark, which that was kind of the goal, sick as I am, um, the shark can eat me, but I don't think the goal is the shark wants to eat me. But what I was more afraid of is my reaction to seeing the shark. I'm like, am I going to choke on my respirator? Am I going to like kill myself underwater because I spaz out because I see this tiger shark? <laughs> no, honestly, I was like more afraid of my reaction to the shark than the shark actually coming and eating my face off. Yeah. Um, and so this so I'm having to teach myself as well because this, this process... Um, going back into university after three decades mm -hmm. has been quite daunting. And I struggle with my own kind of self-deprecating, oh, you have, you know, dyslexia, you're not smart, you have really low, um, you know, you don't have good short-term memory, you didn't do good back in school that day. And I get myself worked up in this frenzy to where I can't see the big picture. Mm -hmm. And it's really, I freak myself out sometimes. I know it sounds so silly, because, like, yeah, I've swum with sharks and I snuck into Congo. And yet I'm going to university and I'm petrified. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's, it's the structure. Yeah. And it's authorita. And it's, you know, and I feel like it's going to break me as well. Yeah. And I don't want to be broken. No. <laughs> I really feel like how am I going to be at the end of this process? It really scares me, Ben. Because yeah. I haven't been able to create the way I have been. Because now it's really psychodynamic it's it, even though I do the spontaneous creating I'm like am I going to be able to create the same now that I'm this psychological person and am I going to be able to separate that from my primal art which is really scary because what I'm hoping to help other people to do is to do their creative and expressive raw art yeah. and yet I am feeling so stifled in that I'm like, what am I going to be at the end of this? Am I going to be just this little, like, puppet of an art therapist and not like this, this... Cause you won't. Well, you know, and, and this, <laughs> like, you know, because, the, or the, you know, where I, I've always liked to be this subversive artist who's, you know, mm. making be bejeweled vaginas or, you know, whatever. Um, so I'm a little kind of, uh, scared of what's going to happen. And, and it's hard to keep my, myself and also conform to what they're expecting mm. but also be true to myself so i'm really struggling with that conformist thing yeah it's a challenge and so i'm day by day but sometimes i just feel like saying fuck it yeah you know this is about me but then i'm not going to go very far if i have that attitude so mm. it's really about it's the balance isn't it yeah coming into my yeah yeah <laughs> so it's um yeah it's quite challenging i mean if you'd have told me three years ago you're going to be in university studying a master's degree program i'd have been like you're high yeah you're on fucking crack man <laughs> i just worked with jude law dude yeah like yeah got to airbrush his hands um yeah so yeah it's uh so is that your negative answer <laughs> i think so i don't know that's like yeah that's pretty negative we'll, i mean we'll i that. think um, I mean, there's, there's so much negative going on in the world right now. It yeah. really makes me sad. You know, um, the Donald Trump's and all the bullshit and oh, it, God, yeah. it makes me want to hurl, you know, it's just so 
disgusting, but I'm not going to get on a soapbox. And I don't know how to <laughs> fix it either. And no. being an art therapist, I'm not going to fix these kind of things. No. But, we can all just play our part, I think. You know? Yeah, I just I do wish people would be a bit more aware. But it's weird because I started this humanitarian journey about 15 years ago. And now it's kind of, it seems like something to do. Oh, I'm fundraising for my dog who, you know, whose ear got clipped off. Or what, you know, it's like mm. these Kickstarter things, which I think is great because it brings awareness that people need, people are in need. But it's like kind of the cool thing to do. Mm. Oh, I've got this charity now. Or I've got this. And it's like... I feel like it's missing the point of, of what's really important. And yes, it's it's hard if, if, you know, someone's dad falls off a ladder while he's dealing with a gutter and breaks his leg and needs help with hospital bills. But I'm like, there are people that do not have food or shelter mm. or anything. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. And we're so concerned and it's the media. And, and I wish one day I said something really silly. I said responsible media. Um, yeah, so responsible media, that is, I know, a pipe dream, but um, media, as much as I love it, I detest it as well, because we're just being force-fed bullshit. Of course we are, yeah. You know, it's just spoon-fed shit, and yeah. what's so upsetting is people are so happy just to swallow it, because they don't want to see it. They yeah. don't want, it's too hard to see it. Me, even now, I have to shut off sometimes because it's too much. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that makes me... Yeah. That that pains me. And so, and what's what's getting you? What's what's firing you up in a good way at the moment? Oh, absolutely anything. It doesn't oh have to God. be. It doesn't have to I be know a piece that there's of. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. No, um, <laughs> with this university thing. No, um, it's a struggle right now. I don't have the simple pleasures that I used to have. Mm. It's really interesting. Um, I just it sounds really corny, but I just love being out in nature. And yeah. being warm. Yeah. It's <laughs> good answers, uh, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I just love one day that the whole I imagine to be in a place that's that's, you know. Yeah. Um where I'm doing good work. I don't know, an artist retreat or some kind of healing retreat or something really corny like that. Yeah. But um, just to be outside and feel free. Yeah. I get that, yeah. I mean, safe, being a Yorkshire yeah. boy, I guess we've both got that in common from, from Texas and Yorkshire, I suppose, mm. in that respect that we're always gonna have that space fondness of space and yeah, greenery yeah yeah so yeah. that that uh that keeps me going when i'm able to to see those visions of you know out mm. there as well but also making a you know i, I want to make a my life you know a value I wanna, you know, well you so. know i think without doubt you're you're doing that well yeah. there's always, <laughs> i feel like there's always more to do so which, which drives me you yeah. know which does drive me well, me too you know? me too yeah. I'm, I'm always hungry for it for the yeah. next thing but i think so. i've as I get older, I've started to get a little bit better at allowing myself to think, you did all right there, you know, you worked hard for that and you did well, you know, I, I'm quick, I quickly move past it, but mm. I think sometimes you have to allow yourself to think, you know, mm. come on, I've done, you know, I've done all right, so I've done all right, so, you know, there's always more, but I think if, we, if you're guilty of never enjoying it, then sometimes mm. you think, don't miss that. <laughs> well, Eden, thanks for your time, it's been a, a pleasure. You. Good luck with the rest of the course. Thank you. Well, I'll, I'll let you know in a year if I'm. Yeah. Yeah. I've already got like 25 more grey hairs for sure. Just <laughs> I absolutely love the um, the stories about Eden working in Hollywood on you know on the likes of Dexter doing the blood for that show and the cadavers for CSI. Uh, what an amazing role! And it's the kind of stuff you dream about at college, right? 
I certainly did, and I still do, you know, think about working on films and in television and doing even more of that stuff. So to hear that from a person like Eden, who's done such a crazy range of amazing things, is uh, is truly inspiring to me. So thanks to Eden for coming on the show. Uh, we'd had these conversations on numerous occasions, uh, just drifting around the studio and sort of meeting for coffee and chatting through this stuff. So I, I started to think more and more, oh my God, like I must get Eden to come on the show and, and share these stories with my listeners. I was particularly touched by the story about a uh, lady suffering cancer and Eden's work in art therapy to to, to apply her, her makeup work to those people so that they could come together and form this bond uh, out of such tragic circumstances and learn how to you know wear wigs, put, put on the makeup together. I thought that was a real touching story, really did. And it just goes to show that you know, look at the extremes of, of this kind of Hollywood lifestyle. And as Eden said herself, you know, was going, getting a little bit too much into that world uh, where there's quite a lot of falsity. And then to turn that on its head and go and work in Africa and be literally drawn in the sand with kids and then working with cancer sufferers uh, with makeup. Wow, it's, it, it really does go to show that there, there are so many positive channels for all, for all, these, all this artistic work. So... Um, so let us know your thoughts. Hit us up on Twitter at Arrest All Mimics or on Facebook.com forward slash Arrest All Mimics. Uh, I'm on social media all over the place myself, so you know where to find me. And if you'd like to hit us up personally, ArrestAllMimics at gmail.com. Uh, thank you as ever to Illustration Limited for supporting the show. Go and check out the brand new portfolio layouts, which are pretty cool. You get sort of bigger images now and a nicer dynamic to them. Uh, illustrationweb.com, again, Illustration Limited are all over social media. Uh, a huge illustration agency representing amazing animation, illustration, set design, and everything in between. Where they've really sort of worked with me to build this podcast and support me in doing so. So it's exciting times. And I am currently talking to another sponsor uh, at the moment with the idea of taking the show weekly, so watch this space. Uh, I'm maybe too much on a weekly basis, but I'm afraid you're just going to have to deal with that. So thanks for listening again. Uh, get those thoughts over to us. Check the show notes. Please do go and sign the petition that I mentioned uh, in the opening for the show. That would really mean a lot to me. And as ever, looking forward to bringing you some more amazing guests in the coming weeks. Thanks for checking in, guys. Talk to you soon. <laughs>